This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. What are those things outside the walls, out in public, out in the view of everyone? What are those things that if someone were on the outside looking in, they could say, huh, that person is Catholic, or at least has some relationship with Catholicism? Uh, Shortly after we were confirmed back in 2011, my wife and I together, we came into the Catholic Church. Uh, We we went out and we bought a... um, what, three and a half foot, four foot Marian statue, concrete. I mean, it's just uh, hefty. It's a, it's, it's a weighty statue. Um, we've moved it across the country several times now. Uh, and she, she always sits in the front seat of the moving van with me um, because I don't want to pack her in the back. So um, here we have moved her from place to place. And she sits out in front of our house, kind of as an announcement this is a Catholic home. Um, maybe for you, you have the Marian statue. Maybe you have, uh, you know, the, the, the rosary hanging from your rearview mirror. Or maybe you wear a scapular or a religious medal or a crucifix, something that says, uh, I am a person of faith. And I know that I've heard a, a number of people who are kind of down on this idea of very public expression of faith, perhaps because they see so many others who have these public expressions of faith, but don't have a strong interior life of faith. Maybe they they haven't grown to that point in their understanding of the faith. Maybe they have sat in a pew their whole life and have never had an encounter with a person of Jesus Christ, and they don't have the depth of relationship. And so maybe it's all about the externals for some people. But this doesn't mean that we should shy away from these externals. Uh, We are not meant to blend in as people of faith. We are, as, as Jesus said, the light of the world. And no one lights a lamp and puts it on a bowl. Rather, they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to the whole room. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden it can be seen from a distance. There is this external and visible and obvious component to faith. Some people say, well, you know, faith is a private thing. It's meant to be between me and God. But this is really kind of a Western, maybe even an American view of faith because the New Testament and the Old Testament both really emphasize this corporate nature of faith, that we who are part of a a religion that has ritual, right? We are part of a corporate body of Christ and and a a very public and corporate way of worshiping. Uh, The priest every, every week at Mass says, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. So here, here we have this, that we are together participating in this ritual act of worship, this sacrifice that we give to God as we go to Mass. And it's my contention that faith is meant to be lived out in, uh, in a public way, not for show, not to, to get everyone looking at us so they can see how cool we are, how weird we are, but rather that there is, a, there is a public component to our faith for them to be able to look at us and say, 
you don't behave the way that everyone else does. You, you aren't um, so quick to be angry. You don't manipulate the situation to get your own way. You, you behave toward people who disagree with you uh, with, with charity and with kindness. Something is different. And then for them to be able to have something to hook that different onto, to say, you behave differently than everyone else. I wonder if it's because of that rosary they pray every once in a while. I wonder if it's because, uh, because of the way that they pray. I wonder if it's because they're Catholic. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we're meant to be signposts that point the way to the goodness of God, that, that by this, all men will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is what Jesus said of us and, and what we are called to live in. So, if they're going to see our good works and glorify our Father that's in heaven, they have to know that he's our Father in heaven. These good works, they're not from us. They're for the sake of giving God glory. They're not the, for the sake of our own accolades, they're for the sake of God drawing people to himself because of the holiness of our lives, because of the holiness that he enables us to live in. But here's the thing. If you're going to live that external, visible, Catholic, hey, look, here I am, kind of a way, then you also have to change your behavior and move towards that life of holiness because it just it, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. If you make sure that everyone knows that you're Catholic uh, and then you cut people off in traffic and you berate people in line at the grocery store and you ask to speak to the manager or whatever else the case may be, we have a responsibility now uh, to live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, that we are representing him everywhere we go. People are watching our conversations. They're watching the way that we treat others and so this can work on behalf of the gospel, but it can also work against the gospel. We have to live a life that is open and, and inviting people to see, hey, that person's Catholic. But then that Catholicism has to be one that, that entices them because of the holiness of life. And we see this in, in the first couple of centuries that the world around the people of God were perplexed but intrigued by the people who called themselves Christian. This is where we need to be. We're living in a world that's very similar to that first and second and third and fourth century. And so we have to interact with the world in the same way that they did. To live a life of faith, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to do so in a way that points to the beauty of all that God has created. This means that we cannot be defined by the things of this world, by the culture uh, that we live in, but we do need to be able to engage with the culture that we live in. And this is a, a difficult task to do, to both be in the world, as Scripture says, but not of the world. You and I, we very much are citizens of the country in which we live, but we are also, and primarily by virtue of our baptism, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
We owe our allegiance and our obedience, first and foremost, to Christ and his commands. But this doesn't mean that we sequester ourselves away from the world. It is possible to be so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly good. Now, um, I have a picture for this, and this is the picture of the life of the saints. Yes, of course, you're always going to find uh, the hermits and the desert fathers and, and even uh, monastic living where they retreated away from the world. But you're also going to find the saints who ran headlong into engaging the culture with Christ. You find Mother Teresa, who cared for the poorest of the poor in India. You find St. Martin of Tours, who, coming across a pauper, tore his, his magnificent robe that he had as virtue of being a soldier and, and gave half of it to the pauper. You find St. Francis of Assisi, who regularly gave the best that he could find to the poor while seeking the worst that he could find for himself. Over and over, you see these saints, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living lives that pointed to goodness and truth and beauty, that pointed to the presence of Christ in the world, that gave hope to the hopeless, that gave comfort to the afflicted, and that challenged those who were a little bit too comfortable in their faith. What about you? What about me? What are the things that we have, the signposts that we have erected around the corners of our lives that make it clear to those who are watching that God is in our midst, that goodness and truth and beauty are worth being pursued, and that God loves his world. What are these things that you have? Um, come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And I would love to have a conversation with you. Come and tell me what you have in your life that serves as this signpost. I think of the folks out in the Diocese of Tulsa who every week, they go out to the Garden of Hope and they pray for the unborn right across the street from the abortion clinic. And there, not to protest, but simply to be witnesses in prayer of, of God's presence. I think of those people in Catholic Worker who, as they encounter people on the street, they invite them in, they care for their needs, they, they express this, this gift and this charity not just as, hey, we care about you and we want to make sure you're well, but to say that God cares about you, and we're doing this because God cares about you. We're doing this because this is who we are as Catholics, not just anonymous charity, but charity that points specifically to God's love for that person in the world. So come on over to social media and share your expression of faith. What's the thing that you do that serves as a signpost? Or maybe you've seen someone else's life and you've seen that signpost pointing to the goodness of God uh, that just really stood out to you. Come and tell me what that is and let's share with one another this encouragement in our life of faith. Now, today, we're going to stay on this topic of being a visible witness in the world. And we have this uncomfortable picture when we hear that word witness because we, we tend to think of the person with a bullhorn standing on the corner. Uh, but today, we're going to talk with a different kind of witness, 
he he doesn't have a corner and a bullhorn. He has a corner of the internet and a video camera. We're talking today with Father Casey Cole, who uh, is is a Franciscan, uh, part of the Order of Friars Minor. He entered in August of 2011, shortly after I came into the Catholic Church. My wife and I were confirmed right about then. Uh, He made a solemn profession in August of 2017 and was ordained to the priesthood in June of 2019. He's published a couple of books called What Happens After Saying Yes to God and Let Go, Seven Stumbling Blocks to Christian Discipleship. But what he's most well-known for is his YouTube channel, Breaking in the Habit, and also recently began a second YouTube channel called Upon Friar Review. With over 207,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, he covers everything from Can Science Be Trusted to Did Christ Die for Dogs uh, to looking at how to understand the Mass and explaining the doctrines and dogmas of the Church. Find links to all his channels and his blogs over at breakinginthehabit.org. Father Casey, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. On this show, we often talk about evangelization, and I have this this phrase that my my people hear all the time. They're probably tired of it, but I'm going to say it because I think it has uh, some bearing upon where we're taking our discussion today. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And I like to say, you can't give an answer if there's no question. So go out and live a questionable life. I like it. And you, you not only live a questionable life uh, just and very visibly by virtue of the habit and your way of life, um, but you do so even further by publishing that life, not just to the people who walk by you on the street, but to thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of people who come to your channel uh, every week to watch the videos you produce. So when you think about Franciscan, and most of us, when we think about Franciscan and put the picture in our mind of St. Francis and all of his followers and, and the simple life that they live and the mendicant way that they live and the, uh, you know, here we have this picture of the, the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience. We don't typically imagine a young friar entering into his friary with a U-Haul truck. But this is, according to the story, exactly what you did. Talk to us a little bit about um, this this way of living Franciscan life that is maybe a little different than the pictures we have in our head. Yeah, well, most recently I moved into a new house uh, just uh, about a year ago, and I had to rent a U-Haul truck because I have a studio. I have uh, camera equipment, and I have a green screen, and I've got art that goes on the wall and all these things. And I pulled up and stopped by the uh, place where we're having the studio, dropped all that off, and then took a suitcase and two boxes to my own personal room. And so sometimes there's a difference between the way I live and what's necessary for the work. And I think that's very important. That's, that's not a modern adaptation. That's something even St. Francis said in his original writings in the rule, that the brothers should have the tools necessary for their trade. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really important that while he called us to be beggars, that we shouldn't be ashamed to beg because that's what Christ did, He said the friars should, first of all, work. He doesn't say ministry. He doesn't say evangelization. He says we are to work. And I think that that's a really important distinction for us, that there's something in work in itself that's very important. Um, And you can't do some of this stuff without 
technology, without a computer, without a camera. It's troubling for some people who say Franciscans shouldn't own things. And that's true. We don't really own them. But if we are going to evangelize in the ways that this world needs, we're going to need to use things of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I come from a, a Benedictine spirituality myself. So I, I'm, I know that there's a difference. But in, in the rule of St. Benedict, uh, he talks about everything belongs to the abbot. So I would assume that there would be something very similar going on that as things belong to the order, it's less a personal ownership and there's a, a an open hands nature to the things that you own. Traditionally, the Pope owned everything in the order. Okay. Uh, and that lasted for a number of centuries until I think the Popes got tired of us and then just <laughs> said, deal with it yourself. So yes, technically everything is owned by the order. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's owned collectively. I have use of things is how we would describe it. Um, but frankly, I mean, that's great language, but I'm not sharing my toothbrush. You know, there are certain <laughs> things that I, I do own myself. It's really not helpful, I think, to get into the, the minutia of ownership and all those little things of just, it becomes poverty and material becomes a God in itself. Mm-hmm. I think it really needs to focus on that spirit of poverty of, am I disconnected from this? Do I share? Do I uh, have a thankful heart? Do I experience penance and fasting as a, you know, hand in hand with these things? I think it really has to be, am I dependent on God? And in that way, it, it shouldn't be, well, I have six shirts, so I should only have four. Mm-hmm. That becomes a little strange. So let, let's talk a little bit about the work, the YouTube work that you do. Um, the first ones I saw uh, as I scroll back, I, I first started watching about three years ago, but I scroll back and, and can go back as far as about five years ago on the channel. Um, did you do YouTube stuff before uh, you came into the order and before you uh, built the channel Breaking in the Habit? Or was this kind of a new endeavor of the Franciscans are called to go out into the world and this is where the world is? Yeah, I mean, I did not do anything on YouTube. I barely owned a camera before I entered the order. It was not on my radar. And I didn't start it until a couple years in. I started with a blog, which also I didn't want to do. But I felt a, a call in some ways to speak to the questions that I had that I couldn't find answers to. When I was discerning, I had found a lot of theological works. I found a lot of historical works but I found very few personal modern works. What is it like to live in a friary today? What, what sort of issues do people have? I, I reached out for all those personal experiences and couldn't find them. And so I thought, well, I guess I'll do it. And so I wrote a couple times a week, just what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. What do we see in this life? People are fascinated behind closed doors, you know, the secrets of the friary and kind of wanted to dispel rumors. And so I did that for about three or four years pretty regularly. Uh, until I just was talking with a few people and we realized that YouTube's this kind of cool medium. What if we just got a camera and recorded some of these, you know, writings that I had. And it turns out people like to watch videos a lot more than they like to read. Yeah, I know that sounds strange, but it's true. And I had more hits in my first year of YouTube than I did in four years of writing on the blog. Wow. And I realized that this experiment might need to go a little further. Is there anything that you've seen in, in the comments? Because YouTube is famous for its comments. Um, mm. You have a very, in your videos, a very ironic, uh, ironic tone. You're very um, charitable in all that you do and in the, in the perspectives that you give. You're not a controversial figure. Mm. Um, but do you find uh, that people respond in kind or 
are people there to see the science show? Yeah. I mean, YouTube is a wild world uh, and Twitter, I would say is even worse at sometimes. Um, yeah, I try to be, um, as you say, I, I try to be charitable. Uh, that is most of the time what I am. Sometimes you have to recognize with the medium, you can't have long conversations. And so you've got to kind of pack everything in all at one thing because you may not get the response. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sometimes the comments come off very short, very direct, and sometimes uncharitable. I try not to be that way. But I, I do think that there is a level of, um, I guess, respect in the comments because I've fostered that. Because I, I personally, I, I block people that use foul language or are just there to attack, there to spam, and that happens for sure. But I've noticed a number of people saying that they felt accused or attacked in the comments and then they left because of it. And I don't mm-hmm. want people to feel that way. It's not a great way to connect, but you can connect. And so I want to make sure that that is the best that it can be. I would say, you say I'm not a controversial figure. I hope that's the case. But I do hope to create some controversy sometimes. And I like the line that, you know, we want to comfort the afflicted, but I also want to afflict the comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that that is a part of my mission is finding those aspects of the church that are a bit um, blasé, yeah. a, a bit uncommitted, a bit closed minded, whatever it might be. Th- those things that are not truly evangelical, they're not truly disciples of Christ and to challenge those things. And ultimately that will cause some waves. And I think that's part of being a Christian is Jesus says to go out and to witness. And that word witness means to be a martyr. Yeah. Um, so I, I always recognize there's going to be some pushback and sometimes it's my fault and I need to recognize I need to do better. But sometimes it's just the nature of the work. And I use the wrong term there. You, you rightly push back on that. Um, I would say you're not combative. Um, yes. Certainly you have a, a flair for the, um, the intriguing title, which you kind of have to have. You want people to click yep. on that thumbnail on YouTube. Uh, you did one recently that got a lot of, of attention. The, um, the the title on the thumbnail was Abortion is Not That Important. Of course, people see that and they're like, oh, it's one of those priests. Yeah. Uh, maybe or maybe not actually watch the video. Of course, what you're talking about is that we have to uh, fight for the dignity of the unborn without defacing our own dignity or the dignity of the person we're talking to. Right. Exactly. The, the idea of not being that important and the that being all capitalized is it's not worth selling your soul. Yeah. Right. You should always be a disciple of Christ. And unless you're going to live with love, then you're ruining yourself. So fight for these things, fight for justice and peace in the unborn, which is among the most important things we could possibly do in this life. But it's not more important than being a disciple, than living with love and charity. What would it, what would it profit a man if he gains every law that he wants signed? If he gains all of his objectives, mm-hmm. but loses his soul. Exactly. That, that's and we a- don't want to do that. And I see that all the time on the internet. Very well-meaning, impassioned people for whatever subject. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fighting for, I think, things that are good, but do so at the detriment of themselves, the detriment of our church, because then we come off as hateful and angry. And if we are followers of Christ, if we believe that God is love, you cannot evangelize through hate. It's self-contradictory. I was having this conversation, uh, I think, with my wife the other day. It, it seems as though we often find ourselves recipients of the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we, we, I think, forget the last part of that. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we mm-hmm. maybe think that we have been left with this mission that we have to accomplish 
until he comes back because we want to be found faithful when he returns. And so we proceed without really making sure that we're actually following him still as he is with us always to the end of the age. And we have this, um, this intense desire to succeed and, and we try to succeed in the mission without succeeding in an ongoing humility and docility to the, to the, the call of God. I think we try to engage the world with the ways of the world. And ultimately, you're going to get the result of the world. You know, the, the whole thing about the world is that it is flawed. And so if we try to use flawed logic and try to just use power, might is right, to convince people that we're right, well, we're just going to undermine ourselves. I think the, the great mystery, the great contradiction of our faith is that death leads to new life, that the crucifixion truly is the way to power, the power of the kingdom. And I think there's, there's something often overlooked in our, our gospels, which is the Beatitudes, that's the way to blessedness, mm-hmm. not success, not power, not money, not all the, the laws that we want to get past. But in fact, the way that people are converted, the way that the world looks at us and says, oh, my gosh, there's something different I want. It's through our, our littleness, through our humility. And this is something that really resonates with me as a Franciscan, Order of Friars Minor, the Lesser Brothers. My hope that that is my witness to the world. You know, you go back to the writings of the, the first century and you see this where uh, the pagans of the time that were around the Christians, they're looking at them and saying, that, that they're kind of weird. They don't do all these things that we do. But you didn't have so much the Christians going out and being combative. It was the strength of their life that that made these. And of course, I'm not trying to say this, uh, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary, that, that, that quote that's sure. often attributed to St. Francis. Mm-hmm. But I am saying that if our words... Um, proclaim one thing and our lives don't match that, then that's going to be, it's not going to accomplish what we want it to accomplish. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I I think that the best way to evangelize is through living, right? It's through showing our love. I was just talking about the day with a a group of people I was talking with. I think the most effective and powerful uh, agent, I guess we have for the pro-life movements, what we can really show that our, our beliefs are so important is the corporal works of mercy. Mm-hmm. The way that we treat the prisoner, the way that we treat the homeless person by going to those people that society thinks is disgusting and doesn't deserve anything and saying, no, they matter. Yeah. I don't think there's a more powerful claim that we can make that all life is sacred. And I think that all pro-life movements must have that within itself to say all life, not just the easy ones to defend, but the difficult ones to defend that's going to cause some waves and the world is not going to necessarily like that, at least at first, because it's challenging. But I think it's also our strongest way of gaining new followers because we say, yeah, look how the world fails. We're not like that. We're talking today with Franciscan friar, Father Casey Cole. You can find him at breakinginthehabit.org. Find links to his YouTube channels, Breaking in the Habit and Upon Friar Review, which you need to go. Just it's well worth your time. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and dive deeper into what it means for us to live a life that invites questions and points to Jesus. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come just after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Father Casey Cole, a Franciscan living out in Macon, Georgia. Uh, but don't get too comfortable there, because as I understand, the Franciscans um, move from time to time. That is true. I have moved, I think, 12 times in my life, maybe 13 at this point, and five or six times as a friar, I've lived in many places. We are itinerant yeah. and we take that seriously. I do want to talk about this. So the the Benedictines, the founding order of monks, they take a vow of stability. And so we mm. kind of see them, they, they come to a specific monastery and unless something just drastic happens, that's where they're going to be the entirety of their life. St. Francis took a different tack. Um, his life is fascinating. And he went around from place to place serving the poor, doing the work of ministry, and going about rebuilding the church, right? Uh, th I think this is one of the really important things for us to see the distinction in the religious orders. It's not just, oh, there's the religious over there, and then there's the lay, and then there's the priest, and that's it. There, There's a variety of charism and ways of life within religious orders um, that that reflect the, the diversity and the beauty of God's creation. So I want to ask, what your favorite uh, hagiography of St. Francis is. I want to hear how, how are you most introduced to who St. Francis is that we could maybe go and be introduced to him as well? Hmm. Well, I think St. Francis is uh, very flexible in that a lot of people use him for their own purposes, right? Yeah. So he's the saint of the environment. He's the saint of the poor. He's the saint of travelers, whatever it might be. I mean, everyone kind of looks to him. I think when we look at him, though, as a Franciscan, what we see is that he's not just a Benedictine that wanted to do ministry and just right. going out. And now that's not the reason he did it. He's he's kind of a, a fool for Christ. Uh, he really just wanted to do everything that Christ did, literally. He just he heard the message, rebuild my church. So he literally started getting stones. Right. Uh, he, he wanted to be poor because Christ was poor. He wanted to go out two by two because Christ went out two by two. And I think that that's something that you have to keep at the very center of your understanding of, of Francis is that he just wanted to be an imitator of Christ, mm -hmm. um, sometimes foolishly, sometimes so prayerfully and beautifully. But the reason that he went out two by two wasn't necessarily for ministry or mission. It was simply because he wanted to experience as Christ did not having a home, not claiming anything for himself. And so when we look at his teachings, this idea of sine proprio, without appropriation, underlines everything. Mm -hmm. It's not the external of poverty, it's rather the dependence on God. It's not the external of mission, it's not claiming this place and this mission as my own, of just going out wherever I feel called. And so there are a lot of great stories like that of Francis, and particularly his brothers as they grow over the years of kind of the funny things. I think one time they were walking and they didn't know which way to go. So they had a brother spin around as many times as he could until he fell down. And whichever way he fell, that's the way they went. You know, it's that complete <laughs> foolishness, but trust in God that it doesn't have to be up to me. God will lead the way. Well, I'm just, I'm just looking at this thinking of the four, the, the poor brother who had to do the spinning, right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's like, okay, you, you do some spinning. It's like, oh, well, this is my, this is my penance for the day, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes penance takes many different forms. Sometimes it's fasting. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's lots of prayer. Sometimes it's giving attention to a really annoying person that just wants to talk and talk and talk. I think there's beauty to all of that of just saying, hey, this life is not my own. I, I love C.S. Lewis says this one time that 
you know, at the end of the day, when you were very angry that this woman stole your time, that you just wanted to sit and read your newspaper, what if that's all that God asked of you? Hmm. That's all you need to do to get into heaven. Would you be complaining? Of course not. Well, yeah. the fact of the matter is that all that's all he asked of you today. You know, so I think that's a good perspective to have. Well, and, and I think it's a good perspective in the sense that we don't often think of those little annoyances as being God sent, right? Mm. Um, we like our schedule. We like God to work on on that time frame or or to announce himself ahead of time, right? Just, you know, let us know you're coming, God, so we can get prepared. I want to have things cleaned up. I want to have the schedule set, you yeah. know, so I, mean, I can fit everything else in. Yeah, and God doesn't do that. God interrupts. God's the person who doesn't call before he comes over and knocks on the door. Uh, and we have to have our house enough in order that we can provide that hospitality. Yeah, I think it's why you see in the New Testament so many passages about how you should be ready that he comes like a thief in the night. But I think maybe more importantly, it's why the most transcendent experiences, the most transformative experiences throughout the whole Bible take place in the desert and on mountains, the places where you are not in control, where you are away from your comfort zone. It's the only place that you can truly depend on God because you've got nothing of your own right now. Forget the schedule. You're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. That's where God loves you the most, I think. You did a video that I saw recently. Okay. Um, talking about helping us understand the distinction a little bit more between between Benedictines, between monks and friars. Mm-hmm. But you added a third category in there. It's monk, friar, Jedi. Yes. So do you often get confused for a Jedi because of your robes? Depending on where I am, yes. Uh, I wear my habits most of the time. And so when I'm in very secular places like airports, when I am in Los Angeles for, you know, LA Rec, you know, where it's a big convention and they're used to seeing people dressed up, this happens a lot. I, I get asked lots of strange things. I've been asked if I was Moses, even though I most certainly do not and cannot have a beard. It just doesn't grow. You know, am I Jesus? Strange, strange questions. So yeah, Jedi is the most popular I think it's kind of funny as someone who's a semi-fan of Star Wars. I'm not a, a nut about it, but I do love the movies. Um, we look nothing like Jedi. No, not <laughs> and at if all. I can, if I can tell that they're like a super fan, I'll, I'll joke with them sarcastically. Oh, clearly you've never seen the movies you know, because <laughs> we don't look anything like they wear boots and a big sash and yeah, it, just fun to play with them. So yeah, I, I did this video talking about the differences between monks, friars, and Jedi, where they live what they do, what their belief system is. Um, And it was kind of tongue in cheek that I thought was pretty funny. Now in your videos, Father Casey, you're addressing a multiplicity of audiences because you are addressing those people who are members of the faith, who who are striving to live a holy life and they're coming to you maybe for for insight, for entertainment, for whatever the case may be, Um, but they are already living a, a sacramental life. But you also are engaging and interacting with people who have no concept of faith or whose concept of faith is so far removed from the reality of it that it might as well be no concept of faith. I'm curious if you have a story for us uh, of, of positive nature of one of those interactions, one of those videos that really connected with the non-Catholic audience and a story of an exchange that that was born out of that video uh, that that yielded positive results. Yeah, so it's a, a good balance that I try to strike. I learned actually at VidCon a number of years ago that you should vary the types of videos that you make, that one video a month or so should be about comforting your base. 
One should be about getting in front of new eyes that don't normally see you. One should be a, one that gets reactions, maybe a little controversy, but stirs up something that people would want to respond. And then one to experiment with something new to expand. Um, and so the comforting ones often are to the faithful. It's to encourage them. It's to give them things they expect. But then there are things like I did recently, an open letter to atheists. Mm-hmm. That was very, very popular among you know lots of different demographics, but it was amazing how many atheists commented saying that they're regular watchers mm-hmm. and thanking me for that video and saying that there's something about the way that I engage these topics that they've always appreciated. And especially this one, they felt very edified by that. And really, you know, sneak peek of the video, really just ask them, are you a good atheist? Yeah. You know, I, I don't need to diminish your, to judge you for not believing in God, but if you're not going to believe in God, be a good person morally, but also be articulate in who you are. Don't just use logical fallacies and say, oh, stupid religious people. Engage the world. Think deeply about the deep thoughts because you'll find things that are very important that will help us as faithful people ask those questions. And I think that's pretty indicative of how I engage with people is just not trying to proselytize, but being unapologetic in what I believe and what I love And that's somehow attractive to a lot of different people. I don't know if I have a a particular interaction to share um, other than people's amazing vulnerability to share their stories sometimes. They'll write in the comments that I used to be an atheist and then this happened, then this happened, and I'm so happy to believe. Or on the opposite side, I used to be a Christian, but this happened to me. And now I just, I don't know anymore. It's, It's amazing to know that people put that out there, not knowing who will see it. And it makes the work kind of meaningful, I would say. What I love about that that last video that you're mentioning, um, Open Letter to Atheists, is we often think this conversation that I'm having right now, going back to that question of whether or not God is in control and whether or not we're following him, this conversation, this argument that I'm having right now is so important that I have to win this at all costs right now. Within <laughs> our 30-minute Silver Spoons episode, um, we've got to get this finished. And... Sometimes uh, they would look at something like the open letter to atheists and say, well, but you're not taking them all the way. You're, you, that, that's, yeah. that's leaving them with not enough. You, you got you to push harder. You got to push against them, Father. And, and yet at the same time, what we're doing and what you've done in that is to point them toward the transcendence, the good, the beautiful, and the true. And if you're pointing that way and walking that way, then you're going to get closer to that destination. And maybe through a conversation with someone else, after they're pointed to the good, then God reaches in and taps them on the shoulder and reveals himself. It's not all incumbent upon us in this moment. It's fascinating. I would say the one that stuck out to me was uh, there was a Christian actually who commented many, many times on Facebook yesterday about this video, uh, really railing against me about how I wasn't strong enough and didn't condemn the atheists and didn't point to Jesus and didn't explicitly tell them that they're going to hell if they don't believe. And I was so happy that a number of other viewers responded positively and said, well, that's not the purpose of this video. And he does that other times. And, you know, this is to reach them on a different level. And it's just funny how we think that sometimes that I have to right now is the most important thing. And as you said earlier, it's up to me. Jesus left it my task and he's gone. So if I don't do it, no one else will. That's kind of kind of crazy. Uh, and I love, there's a, a prayer that's, I think it was given at Oscar Romero's funeral, uh, not attributed to him, but it's often called the Oscar Romero prayer. 
workers uh, in a vineyard, not our own. Uh, workers are a future, not our own, I think is what it's called. And, and basically say some plant the seed, some till the, the, the ground, some water it, some harvest it, but rarely does anyone do everything. Yeah. And so maybe it's just planting that seed. It's giving them that positive experience. Then maybe now the next time they see someone wearing a habit that's not a Jedi, they'll be more open. <laughs> and, and I hope that that's what my presence does, that I don't have tremendous positive experiences every single time I walk out my door. But hopefully the people at Kroger, every time I go shopping in my habits, they're starting to be comfortable with that. And maybe mm -hmm. something's happening on, you know, on a level that I don't understand or they don't understand. All I can really do is be a witness. God's going to eventually change hearts. And there is that that sense as you go out into the world. You are a, a sign uh, in and of itself pointing to God just through your vestments. You're either uh, out of your mind or you're, you're devoted, right? Doesn't you're... have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> well, as I like to say, that it's the crazy saints that get remembered. So, That's right. Do you have, uh, and all you've got a couple of different YouTube channels. Do you have a specific episode that you look back on and you're still really proud of it or uh, the reactions to it were your favorite? The one that just really kind of stands out, cream of the crop at the top. I don't know if I have one. Um, there are a couple that I really do like. Um, one was just Priest debunks Common Catholic Myths. I just went through about 10 things that people often say, and I just gave quick answers to them. And it was really helpful to a lot of people. And they've responded that that's exactly what they were looking for. Very, very, um, I don't know, something that they could share with their friends. On a, a different level, it was a difficult to, one to make, but I was very proud of the horrifying truth about the porn industry mm. because I offered, I think, a different take than most people here. I didn't talk about the effect that porn has on the viewer. I think people get that enough. I think they know it's addictive. I think they know it destroys lives and families. What I don't think people think about much is the justice aspect yeah. of the people who are on the other side of the camera, the people who are forced into it, the way the industry works. And that, that resonated with people in a way that I think they weren't expecting. And it, because that's one of the top videos I've, I've made in terms of views. And I think it's just, you know, let's try to throw everything we can at this issue. People are really struggling with it. So why not look at it from a different perspective? Yeah. Posing up here, I uh, recently watched your episode with, um, with Father Patrick upon Friar Review of a, a couple of them. One was the one on Sister Act, which I was directed to by, uh, by a friend of mine who's non-Catholic, who watches your show all the time. Um, and she, one of the things she said was that it really gave her insight into Catholicism that she wasn't expecting. Um, and then the other one was one that you did on a young man by the name of Mr. Beast, who has far more YouTube followers than you, um, mm -hmm. because he gives away loads of cash. And uh, what I found interesting about that and some of your other videos in specifically in Upon Friar Review is taking things that many would just dismiss out of hand and say, oh, that's just fluff. Oh, that's just, you know, that's not us. That's somebody else. We're not even going to respond to that. And you respond to it in a way that elevates the good that's within it and magnifies it, addresses, yeah, there's some things in here that aren't 100%, but... Mm -hmm. But pointing to that transcendent and really realizing that we as Catholics can also learn from other people who are not Catholic, who are actively engaged in the good and the beautiful and the true. 
Yeah, there's there's something that needs to be criticized about much of our world. I, I certainly agree with that. But the problem is if you just open with criticism, no one's going to hear it. Yeah. And so it's falling on deaf ears. It's a waste of your time. And so I think, as you say, that looking to those transcendentals, looking at what is true and beautiful, what is good, what are these things that people do recognize in their lives? They do have an innate sense of God in them, even if they don't have an explicit uh, wording for it. And so trying to draw that out, I think it's about being in the world, but not of the world, mm-hmm. that we can engage these things and find some things very funny. We can find things very good in some sense, but then also, you know, as, as Father Patrick often says, having some bumpers in the bowling alley, right? There can be yeah. limits on things. And I think to an extent, right? So one of the videos, we did music videos and Father Patrick had some pretty uh, funny reactions to things. He wouldn't watch <laughs> one of the videos because it was just too scandalous. And we had a good discussion about how Yes, we can engage certain things, but some things just cross the line and really you can't unsee certain things. Yeah. And so we don't need to watch everything, but we do need to watch some things because other people are watching them and how can we bring light to them? It's been a really great experience for us. It's less than a year old, kind of struggled at the beginning to find our footing of what exactly we would be doing and focusing on. But it's really amazed me how it's touched a lot of non-Catholics, a lot of Mm non-Christians, reaching people not just in a farce way, not just to make them laugh, but they're responding, as as you mentioned, with great depth, uh, mm-hmm. that they're fascinated by it, that they're learning a lot. And so I think we're different than just a React channel. Yeah. We're different than just a review channel. We're different than just a theolo- theological reflection channel. It's kind of an amalgamation of all three. Yeah. So in our extra segment today, uh, I want to talk to you about your vocation story, and I want to talk to you about the process you go through to say, what am I going to subject Father Patrick to today? (laughs) Father Casey, thanks for being on the show with us today. Yeah, thank you. We've been talking today with Father Casey Cole. Find him over at breakinginthehabit.org. From there, you can find all of his YouTube channels and other various goodies. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Casey, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Also gave you a sneak peek about what we're going to talk about in our Patreon segment. To learn more about these extra segments, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and find all the information you could possibly want. Let's go ahead now and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you study Scripture in light of the church's tradition. Learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the feast day. Today's feast day of St. Joseph the Worker uh, comes from the book of Colossians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, over all these things, put on love, that is, the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do from your heart, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that you will receive from the Lord the due payment of the inheritance. Be slaves of the Lord Christ. That reading comes from Colossians 3. It comes right at the end of this whole long passage that really, uh, I think, sums up the expectations of the Christian life, to, to clothe ourselves with love and compassion and to care for one another. 
Colossians chapter 3 is just such a beautiful passage, and, and I encourage you to go read the whole thing. But today, as we're looking at this in the context of evangelization and how we communicate with one another, uh, one thing stands out that ties back to our conversation earlier, and it's this. Uh, Paul says, whatever you do, do from the heart as for the Lord and not for men. So often we think that the, the efforts that we have are for men right? That, that annoying person that comes up and we feel like our whole day has been displaced. Engage with that person as to the Lord and not as if you're interacting just with another human. That there is something of serving Christ in our neighbor. We talk, talk about that every week in the intro to the show, who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Christ in our neighbor. And so this is an exercise for us as we are clothing ourselves with compassion. We're putting on virtue and casting off vice to recognize Christ in every situation and to serve him and to do everything that we do from the heart as for the Lord. Our reading from church history today comes from a letter to uh, Diognetus, which was written sometime between um, AD 130 and the end of the second century. And this is a letter from a Christian to a non-Christian explaining a bit about who we are as Christians. And I think it ties into our discussion today. Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, yet they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse, deference their response to an insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors. But even then they rejoice, as though receiving the gift of life. They are attacked by the Jews as aliens. They are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet no one can explain the reason for this hatred. To speak in general terms, we may say that the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. 
As the soul is present in every part of the body while remaining distinct from it, so Christians are found in all the cities of the world but cannot be identified with the world. As the visible body contains the invisible soul, so Christians are seen living in the world, but their religious life remains unseen. The body hates the soul and wars against it, not because of any injury the soul has done it, but because of the restriction the soul places on its pleasures. Similarly, the world hates the Christians not because they have done any wrong, but because they are opposed to its enjoyments. Christians love those who hate them just as the soul loves the body and all its members despite the body's hatred. It is by the soul enclosed within the body that the body is held together, and similarly, it is by the Christians detained in the world as in a prison that the world is held together. The soul, though immortal, has a mortal dwelling place, and Christians also live for a time amidst perishable things while awaiting the freedom from change and decay that will be theirs in heaven. As the soul benefits from the deprivation of food and drink, so Christians flourish under persecution. Such is the Christian's lofty and divinely appointed function, from which he is not permitted to excuse himself. That reading comes from a letter to Diognetus written in the 2nd century. And it stands as an example for us of of what it means to live that questionable life so that the questions come and we can give an answer for the hope that's within us with gentleness and respect. Here's what's happening. Um, Diognetus has likely asked a question of this disciple to the apostles. We don't have a specific name, but that's the name he gives himself. He's asking, what's going on with you people? And so here he's writing to Diognetus, who is... um, possibly the same Diognetus that is one of the servants of the, uh, of the emperor. And he's explaining this, this is who we Christians are. This is not a combative letter. It's an inviting letter. It's let me let you in and pull back the curtain so you can see the beauty of our life. He does here, you see, talk a little bit about the fact that there is some countercultural stuff going on here. These Christians, they behave in a weird way. They they, um, they live in the flesh, but not according to the flesh, right? And so we see this, this highlighting of the things that are, are different. There is a countercultural aspect to this. But just like Father Casey said earlier, the focus is on what they do and not on what they don't do. The focus is on how they give themselves completely to God and not how all well, the rest of you aren't doing that, so you're, you're in trouble, Right. This is an invitation to enter into the beauty of that life. And this is what we're called to do as missionary disciples. In fact, at the very end of that, I love this this closing parting shot from this, this author. He says, Such is the Christian's lofty and divinely appointed function from which he is not permitted to excuse himself. And you and I, this is our function. Let's go out. Let's live a life of holiness and live a questionable life. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Drs. Michael and Julie Highland and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more. Visit us on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. 
We'll have some links to Father Casey's stuff there. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.